0: How many of y'all were here last week? We started a series called The Big O. We started dealing with a thing called oppression. Pastor, why are we dealing with oppression? You're supposed to talk about how great everything is. Well, what I have uncovered and realized is that oppression is something that everyone in this room carries. Something everyone in this room deals with. You go, Pastor, I don't deal with oppression. I'm better than that. I'm overcoming that. Then tell me how many weights you brought into church with you this morning. How many times have you balanced your checkbook since you sat in church at 10 o'clock this morning? How many times have you counted what's in your wallet to try to figure out if you got enough money to go to lunch? How many people have you worried about since you've been sitting in that seat? How many things have you worried about what's going to take place tomorrow morning? How many of you are wondering where it's going to come tomorrow morning? How many of you, come on, work with me for a second. How many of y'all had to deal with the rain? Oh God, I'm going to get wet. You used to play in the rain. Now you're scared of the rain. Help me. That's oppression right there. But there's a thing that we keep dealing with in us as believers. Non-believers and believers alike both deal with this thing. A spirit called oppression. And so I was in my prayer time a couple weeks back and God began to deal with me that even as your pastor, I have things that are oppressive in my life. There are burdens that I carry that I should not be carrying. There are things that I weigh myself down with that God says, are you going to give it to me or are you going to keep carrying it? We've been dealing with oppression and it is blocking the greatest move of God in our lives because God did not call us to be dependent upon ourselves. He called us to be fully dependent upon him, to rest on him, to lean on him, not to lean into your own understandings, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. But for some reason, we only acknowledge God when we're in a crisis. God is not the God of crises. He is the God of living. He is the God of existing. Each and every day of your life, it is not something that we run to God when all hell breaks loose and you don't have any more answers. He is the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not just a moment in your existence. I am your existence. And this is what I'm starting to realize, that oppression comes when God is not the full thing that we lean on. The weights of this world become overbearing and overcomers of, oh, God, I'm so stressed out. How many of y'all ever get stressed out? It's because you're leaning on yourself. It's because you're not leaning on him yet. When stress comes, it's because you're leaning in your own self, and you don't have the answers. But his word does, and he does. And when you lean on him, he gives you rest. He speaks to the waters and commands the waves to stand still. He speaks to the situation and causes turmoil to stop. He even speaks to the sun and commands the sun to stand still. Read your word. This morning, we're going to continue to deal with this word called oppression. But those of you that weren't here, let me give you the definition real fast to lie heavily upon, to weigh down, to put down, subdue or suppress, to press upon or against, to crush. Oppression is not something people put on you, but rather what you choose each and every day to pick up and carry yourself. Every night that you go to bed, you have an opportunity to go to sleep. How many of y'all have trouble sleeping? Come on, work with me, Pastor. I don't sleep real well. It's because you're carrying those sandbags into the bed with you. And when the sandbags are in the bed with you, you can't find rest because something's inside of your place of comfort. And God says, you got to leave it. And then here's the problem. We get up in the morning and we assume that it is our responsibility to pick that stuff back up. Did you know that the word says there is only one thing in this life that you're supposed to carry? I am not supposed to carry my wife. I am not supposed to carry my children. I'm supposed to carry my cross. And for those of you that go, well, Pastor, that's a heavy burden. That is not a burden. The cross is not a burden. The cross we carry is not a pain to bear. It's not a penalty. It's actually just a declaration. When we choose to carry our cross and not everything else, it lets the world know and see that our God is a deliverer and not just a good story. Look, let me help you something. When you're carrying your cross, you can't pick up everything else. But as long as you're not carrying your cross, you'll start picking up everything else. Well, that, that's my problem. It's like, you know, well, did, so-and-so is hurt, so-and-so. I got to go deal with this, and I got to go deal with this. Can I just tell you something? I don't need to deal with your problems. God does. When you come to me and say, Pastor, I need to talk. We're going through a problem. What do you think I do? You think I put it in my pocket and take it home and tell my wife about it? No. I give it to the Lord. I can't fix you. If you think I'm fixing you or I'm going to carry your stuff, I got four kids and a wife. I got enough stuff. Amen. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Y'all know I'm just saying what you want to say. I got enough stuff. And trust me, my wife's got enough with me. I know what we're carrying. I don't need to carry I've got to give it to the Lord. Because what I've learned over the years is that more pastors are under the spirit of oppression because they keep carrying people rather than bringing them to the Father. Because in a lot of churches, the pastor has become the Father. I'm not the Father. I'm the pointer. Come here. Let's go. I've got the mission, the same mission that Jesus had, the ministry of reconciliation, to bring you back to the Father, not to me. I am not your source. I cannot deliver you, but I serve the one who can. And I will be more than happy to lead you right to him and let you meet him and let him minister into your life the way he ministers into mine. Have you, asked, you ever asked yourself this question, who ministers to Pastor Brian? Who you think? The Lord. If I call my pastor and I'm like, Pastor, I don't know what to do. He goes, you pray yet? Well, that's a good thought. Maybe I'll try that. He goes, yeah, try that first then call me back. What's amazing is after I pray, I don't even call him. He calls me weeks later. He's like, why didn't you call me back? Because I realized I didn't need you. I realized I just needed the Lord. It's time that we break the spirit of oppression. It's time that we choose to carry our cross and not the struggles of this life. Listen, when we're oppressed, it's because we've stopped allowing God to have control. And we've started to take on this life instead of allowing him to lead it. Even though we love and believe in God, we can still walk under the spirit of oppression. Yes, you and I can live under oppression and still love God. You can love God, but you can't love him completely. You can love him. You can have a sin. Has anybody in this room ever been loved but not loved completely? You know the difference. There is a, hey, I love you, and it's a, hey, I love you. There is a commitment level. There is a deeper space to walk in. There is one moment of loving an idea of something and then loving that thing that is something. And a lot of times what we have a tendency to do when we're under oppression is tell God, God, we love you. And God goes, you do? You really love me. God, I love you. And God goes, then give this prop." Well, okay, that, no, that one's mine. Give up your pain with the people that have hurt you. Well, God, that's my badge of the reason why I'm angry all the time, and I don't want to give up my anger. God goes, no, if you love me, let go. Let me have control. Let me be the lead in this. Stop trying to sit in the captain's chair and let me become the captain, and you enjoy where I take you. You and I can live under oppression and still love God, but oppression will rob your belief in what God can and will do in your life. We will lose faith instead of keeping it and standing strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says this. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. Some of y'all just need to hear that part right there and just amen, real good amen right there. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but are not destroyed. Why is it that we tend to live in the first part of every one of those verses but we do not live in the promises that God has for us? It is because we live under oppression because we believe that pain is part of existence rather than pain that leads you to the promise. He doesn't say that it won't happen. He says it will happen. But understand this that on the other side of it, I got you. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I don't ever leave my kids. I'm going to get you through this. When will it happen that when the doctors say you got an unfavorable report, you look at the doctor in the face and go, I appreciate your doctor's recommendation. I appreciate what you say over me, but I need you to understand that I serve a God that made me in my mother's womb. He said he counted the very hairs on my head. He planned my days before I ever took my first breath. He was intimate with me. He knows my beginning from my end. The Bible says his promises are yes and amen, so you can say what you need to say but i'm going to believe the report of the lord and his report says that what you say is not what he's already declared over me and the one who created the heavens and the earth his word is bigger than yours go pastor i can't say it to my doctor why not the only reason you can't is because the oppression of the fear of losing is bigger than the god that promises you life here and in eternity we are pressed on every side by troubles but we're not crushed i'm not crushed See, I don't even want to read the beginning of it. I just want to say, we're never abandoned by God. We're not crushed. We're not driven to despair. We're not destroyed. There's nothing. Can I just say this to you as a sidebar? Oppression allows the enemy to get in and convince you of somebody that you're not. If you've got a problem with believing who you are in Christ, it's because oppression has come to convince you that you're not. See, the enemy is the master of broken focus. If he can get you off your game, he'll kill you. Somebody said he's come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Do you understand that he does not have the power? And I need you to understand this. He does not have the power to destroy a life he did not create. But he has the ability to get you off of your vision. And the Bible says without a vision, the people die. And what I have learned over the years is that people go, oh, the devil killed him." The devil didn't kill him. They gave in. They gave in to the, the enemy's vision, changed the vision, and it killed them. They lost what they were chasing with God, and they started to chase the world, and the world will destroy them. He said, I've overcome death, hell, and the grave. I've overcome the world. He said, the earth is my footstool. What do you think? If that's what it is to him, what's it to you? It's it's something that we've got to change. It's not the devil's fault. It's our choice. And we've got to start making better choices as believers, that we're going to live with our shoulders squared back, our head lifted high, not carrying the junk of this life, but walking in the fullness of the promises he has for us. Listen, we don't just want to hear that scripture, hear scripture. We want to believe it. And today, you and I can walk out of struggles and right into the promises and blessings that God has just for us. It's time that we break this spirit that hangs over us and keeps us from walking in the fullness that he has for us. How many of you in this room now will say that there are things that oppress me? Come on, some, none of y'all. Y'all ain't going to raise your hand. It's Rebellion Sunday. Amen. <laughs> Rebellion Sunday. We're just not going to. I'm not raising my hand. I'm not doing I'm not admitting. Okay, look, 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 look. Here you go right here. I got stuff I deal with. I got things I got to think about. I got weights that I just shouldn't be carrying. And God says, put them down. But God, I, I, I got it. No, you don't have to do a doggone thing. You got to trust me and know that I am your God and you're my son. You better understand that oppression comes and it is existing in the life of a believer today. Amen. Are you ready for part two? Yeah. I like, Pastor, we're not the part two. Nope, that was just the intro. Amen. <laughs> we can all go home now. Last week, I shared with you a story out of the book of Zephaniah. In the first chapter of Zephaniah, Zephaniah declares judgment of God of the, judge, the judgment of God of the people of Judah because of idolatry. For those of you that don't know what idolatry is, this is the definition. Excessive or blind adoration. Excessive or blind adoration, reverence or devotion. And I said this not to hurt anybody's feelings, but Facebook is a culprit of oppression. Pastor, don't take away my social media. Don't do it. I can't live without seeing everybody what they ate for lunch. They look like their lives are so great. Do you know how many apps there are to make your life look so great? But really, it's not. I can't post that picture because there's a blemish. There's an app for that. I can Photoshop it right out and make it look like I'm perfect. There is a fat app that you can take away fat and make yourself look skinny. What happens, though, is when they see you for the first time, they're like, what happened? It is amazing to me how we are subjected to live our lives by what other people post rather than what this word declares over us. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, I'll say this right now. Although I'm in the process of losing weight, I am fluffy, fearfully, and wonderfully made. You don't have to like that, but I know who I am. I got a beautiful, I got a hot wife. Amen. I'm going to say it. I got a hot wife, and I got four beautiful kids to prove. That fluffy is okay, baby. <laughs> it's all right. I don't worry if you don't think I... My wife does. Amen. <laughs> Pastor, what did we walk into? This is real life. That's right, amen. I'm fluffy and fearfully, wonderfully made. And when I lose the weight, we'll lose the fluffy. But until then, I accept the fluffy. <laughs> because fluffiness is not going to oppress me. That's right. It's not. I'm not going to lose who I am because I've made some bad decisions. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let God bring correction to it so that, I can't, so that I can live a long life. He said that they, he dealt with them and he, dealt, he gave them, the, declared the judgment of God over, over Judah because of their idolatry, their excessive or blind adoration, reverence and devotion to something greater than God. I just need you to understand, you want to break oppression? <laughs> Stop making things bigger than the God you serve. In chapter 2, he gives a call to repentance to the people of Judah. And I have to say this. It's amazing to me how many times God will allow us to come back and how many times we'll refuse it. He gives them the option to stop talking a big game and start living a full life. God does this repeatedly for us because of his grace and his mercy towards us. God doesn't quit on us. But how many times can you tell God no? How many times can you reject his call? How many times can you tell him, I'll give you a portion but not all of me? How many times can you ignore his love for you? God does not want to punish you. If he did, he would have never sent Jesus to die for you. Think about it. We're talking about God. Have you ever read the Old Testament? That God was tough. I was like, oh, you're out. (laughs) Smite. You're gone. Where'd he go? I don't know. Aren't you glad that's not the God we serve today? That he sent Jesus because of his grace towards us to redeem us, to reconcile us. He didn't want to quit on us. He had every right to because we were rebellious people. And let me just tell you something. History has a tendency to repeat itself. We're still a rebellious people. (laughs) There's church folk that are still rebellious people. Well, I lift my hands in worship. Yeah, but you didn't give them your heart yet. So then he goes on in verse 3, and he says a powerful statement as to why they are oppressed. He says this speaking to the people of Judah in Zephaniah chapter 3 at the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. He says, to the oppressing city, she has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. When I read that in my prayer time, God said, here are the four steps to breaking the spirit of oppression in your life. This is how you break the bondage of the weights that you carry. This is how we have to do this. And I looked at this, and I didn't say this last week, but as I read it again this week, this jumped off at me. It says, to the oppressing city. You notice that he did not say to the oppressed. He said to the oppressing city, which means that now the people of Judah had no longer been oppressed, but now they had become oppressors. Let me help you with this as a sidebar. If you and I don't break the spirit of oppression, we will become oppressors. Misery loves company. And when you can't come out, you'll invite people in. So if you don't break the spirit of oppression, then you'll become an oppressor on people and you will find out how lonely that existence is. God was so willing to cast judgment upon Judah because of the oppression, because they had allowed this to take root on the inside of them. Last week, I dealt with the first area of this where I talked about she has not obeyed his voice. The number one step to breaking the shackles of oppression in your life is being obedient. This is an unpopular statement in the church. No one wants to be obedient because it puts somebody over you. Can I say this to you as a sidebar? Stop looking for the sugar daddy God to give you what you want and let him become a father that you as a child can be obedient to. There is a structure that God has created. He said, my kids, obedience brings the blessings of God. When you are disobedient to me, you cannot walk in my blessings. You cannot receive what I have for you. There is an obedience. That is the basic, fundamental, foundational purpose in your life is to be obedient to the voice of God. You were once obedient to the world. Now you're going to be obedient to something that created the world. But if you try to be obedient to the world and say you serve God, you cannot serve two masters. And I started to deal with this, that obedience is a struggle. Because like, even when I talk about giving in the church, and it's funny, because I see it, y'all don't see it. But you talk about money in the church, and people look at you like you're crazy on a Sunday. Do what? That's mine. I'm not telling you what I want. I'm telling you what the Word says. Bring your tithe into the storehouse. I didn't make that commandment. God did. Giving is not an Old Testament concept. It is a way of life. It's it's written all throughout Scripture. Why is it we ignore that? Because we claim money to be ours. Do you claim your life to be yours, too? Because your money is just a response of your, what you do with your life. But it's amazing how we'll fight God on that because it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. But God says, if you'll be obedient in all things, I'll do crazy stuff in your life. I will bless you beyond. But obedience is the requirement. How many of you have kids in this room? Three of y'all. How many of y'all sit up as mothers? Amen. Okay. I, I just wanted a flower. Praise God. Um, you, you got kids. Come on, wave me. You got kids. This is called interactive sermon. Okay. You got kids. When your kids are obedient, how happy are you? When, especially when you don't have to ask them. That's like a gold mine right there. You go in the room. You go in your son's rooms, and it's picked up, and you didn't have to ask. That is a move of God. My son's not in the room right now. That is a move of God. Okay. Now my daughter's a different ball game. She rearranges her her room three times a week because she's just like her daddy, like that. She just likes change. But my son, it's like, dude, for real. It's not a grocery store, man. What are you doing? But but what I'm saying is that when they do that, you have a desire, don't you? Yeah. What is that desire? To bless them. Yeah. How did they know they had to clean the room? Because you gave instruction. You gave instruction of how to live in your home. You said, listen, I need you to keep your room clean. And when they do it out of obedience, without you having to ask, without you having to threaten. Can I get an amen from some of your parents? Because I threaten sometimes. Amen. And, and, and you don't have to do that. And they do that, and you're like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Ask. Ask. Ask, and you shall receive. Ah, like, man, you want to give. This is the other day. He, he, I, we were working on his grades. I, I'm so putting him out right now. Um, we've been pulling up his grades, and he got in the car on Friday. And he said, Dad, I pulled up all my grades. And I gave, him, I gave him instructions on Monday. I said, by the end of the week, I need all your grades. And I never asked him another day. I didn't ask it one more time. I was like, I'm going to see if he's going to be obedient what I asked. He got in the car. I picked him up from school on Friday. He goes, Dad, I got my grades. He gave me his grades. I'm like, that's my boy, that's my boy. And then the other night, he's like, Dad, can I'm like, whatever you want to. <laughs> Parents, work with me for a second. Do you not have that desire yeah. when your kids are obedient? You want to bless them. And the Bible says, if your earthly father wants to bless you, because of obedience. Ah. Obedience brings the blessings. If your earthly father wants to pour out blessings upon you, how much more does your heavenly father want to bestow his blessings on you? Those heavenly blessings that God has for you are a direct response to your obedience. Because let me show you something. Obedience equals the level of love you have for God. We tend to struggle in our walk with God because we're not willing to obey his word. If we're not conform to his word, then we will conform to the world's words. Obedience is the response of a true belief in something greater than oneself. Obedience is not a domineering word, but a life word. God laid out his plan and said to do it this way. Why? Because he knows the plans he has for you. And before anything, you and I must choose to obey his word in our lives. Stop making excuses for disobedience. You know when you're disobeying. You make that face. You go like this. Stop trying to rewrite or reinterpret scripture and love God through your, your your obedience. First Peter chapter one, verse 14 says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. It says you didn't know any better then, but you do now. Stop going back. Let me give you one more and then I got to get you to part two. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, it says this, and I love this scripture. And, man, I've read this, but, man, it leaped off the page to me through this series. If you fully obey, help us, Jesus. He didn't say partially. He said fully. Can I just say this to you? For those of you that read your word, I need you to start reading words, not reading context, but read words. Find what what the word really says. Because what we tend to read is if we obey, which leaves out the word fully. He put the word fully there on purpose. Why? Because he says partially is not obedience. Partially is still disobedience. Fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep his commands that I'm giving you today. The Lord your God will set you high. Above all the nations of the world, you will experience all of these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. How much do we obey? Fully obey, not partially obey. If you know God's not pleased, then that's not obedience. That's disobedience. I know, Pastor, don't be so tight about it. Why? The word's full of tight. Just buckle your seatbelt. This is what he says. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit basket and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. Can I understand? Watch this, watch. If you're living in a level of disobedience to the things of God and you're still blessed, could you imagine how greater the blessing is when full obedience comes into play? Yeah. Woo! I'm blessed, but I've been disobedient at moments. Pastor, don't say that. You're supposed to be the righteous one. You're supposed to never make mistakes. Hello. God ever told you to pray for somebody and you didn't do it? Because you had other things to do? And God was like, Brian, go. God, come on. Seriously, I pray every Sunday. I do it for the whole church all the time. God, can I get up? No. Go do it. But when you do it, God opens up crazy stuff in your life. I've lived in the partially obedient blessing. Not anymore. God says it. I say yes. Even if it's crazy like putting on life preservers and walking through Walmart just to prove a point. Pastor, you really? Yep. I don't care. Who am I going to declare, God or you? I'm going to declare my God. Because trust me, when it's all over, you're not going to be standing at the gate letting me in. He will be. Amen. So let's deal with part two. Verse, part, second part of that verse. Not only she has not received or not walked in obedience, she has not received correction. She has not received correction. How many of y'all like correction? Do not raise your hand because you would be lying in church. (laughs) Nobody likes to be corrected. Can I get an amen? Amen. No one likes to be told that they're doing something wrong. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's no different than I'm changing the alternator on a truck years ago, and my wife walks out because her daddy's a master mechanic, and she looks at me and says, do I need to call my dad? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you sure you know what you're doing? Woman, if you don't run, I'm throwing a wrench at you. <laughs> I said it. You can think it. It's okay. I just verbalize what you think. Uh, uh, I, there's no, there's, it, it, it's like this. If my wife walks room and says, baby, you need to go on a diet. I don't want to hear that, although she has said it. Why? Not because she thinks I'm ugly or fat. It's because she wants me to change so that I live a long life. But Brian doesn't want to be corrected because, doggone it, I like some fried chicken. <laughs> not anymore, but I did. Amen. I like to eat. I'm not a sweets guy. I like breads. Amen. That's me. We're, that's, my, that's, that's my friend. And so, so I, I, those are say, you can't do it. Don't, we don't like correction. Amen. But the only reason we don't like correction is because we receive it the wrong way. That's right. That's right. Correction only offends you when you have an, un, an inability to receive love. Yeah. Watch. Because correction is love. Now, if somebody comes and just calls you out, that's not correction. That's opinion. But if it's received the right way, it can change your life. I, I was sitting uh, on, on uh, what was it, Friday. I went to go get my hair cut. Amen. Shout out to my barber. JB. Amen. And, and we, we get it. I get in the chair and he's going through something. And and we, he said, what you got planned for this weekend? What's the sermon? Every time I go get my haircut, he's like, Pastor, what's the sermon for this weekend? I'm Like, bro, why don't you just come to church, man? So I got to preach the whole message on a Friday. I better be on my game on a Friday and not have to rewrite anything before Saturday. And so I sat down, and I started explaining this to him and I talked to him about obedience and being obedient to the things of God. And then I started talking to him about this thing called receiving correction. And his statement to me was they're the same thing, aren't they? And I went, no, that's the problem. We put obedience and correction in the same pot. They're two completely different concepts, two completely different ways of walking. They're a process. They're the next step. Correction cannot be received until obedience is walked in. Because if you do not walk in obedience, you do not understand the heart of the person that you're serving. And if you don't understand the heart of a person, you cannot receive correction when he brings correction. So when God brings correction to your situation and you have an issue with with receiving that correction, when God says, don't do this and walk this way, and you go, I don't want to do it, it's because you're not walking in obedience. You haven't found the heart of God yet. You're just finding the hand of God that's going like this. If we understood the heart of God, we would never have a problem with correction. How many of y'all like when God corrects you? I'm kind of like here. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's like, dear God, did you really have to go there? Did you have to say it that way? God, could you have just lightened it? Feather it over. Don't bring the hammer. Just bring the, bring, bring the pillow. You could still hit me with the pillow, but don't be... No, sometimes he has to hit me in a way that gets my attention. That's his correction, but it's never caused me to question his intentions. People say to me, I don't want to serve God. Why? He had too many rules. The only reason you see it as rules is because you don't have obedience to the word of God. You don't understand the love of God. Therefore, you don't have the relationship with God so that when he gives a commandment, you automatically see like he's trying to oppress you. God is not a God of oppression. I told him the first step is obedience. The second one was receive correction. It hit me. We have a tendency to place both of these together. Obedience says you've accepted his plan for your life. Correction says you want to stay in his plan for your life. Watch, let me say that again. Obedience says you've accepted his plan. Not yours, his. Not what you want, what he wants. God, I'll be obedient to your plan. I won't rewrite the plan. I'll walk in your plan. I'm going to be obedient to your plan. I've accepted your plan. But correction says you desire to stay in the plan. Correction from God is a guideline to get you back on track. Correction from God is going, "Whoa, whoa, 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 don't do that. I love you too much. Don't do that. Brian, I'm not... Ch- now, here's the great thing about God. God will not force you into correction. He will nudge you into correction. He will lean into you on correction. But if you fight him, he'll let you walk. That's, the, that's the, the loving part of God is to let you walk in it because he wants a full desire for him, not a partial desire for him. And if you're fighting against him, you're not desiring him, you're desiring your own ways. Amen. We've got to get better at letting God bring correction into our lives. And when he does... Don't do it for a season and then go back and try what you used to try. There was correction because where you were headed was going to kill you. And God says, go back this way. No, God, I'm better now. This is what I see from believers all the time. They get to a season where they've done it good for a while, and then all of a the sudden they think that they're strong enough to go back and test the waters again. If God delivered you out of something, if God delivered you out of the drowning of the ocean, why would you be stupid enough to jump back in the ocean? Well, I can swim better now. You're still going to Drown. Because if you were going to drown once, maybe you're going to drown twice. Well, that's when God's going to save me again. How many times he got to save you before you finally do it right? How many more times do you have to throw? Well, he just understands my heart. No, he doesn't. I hate that statement when church people tell me that. God knows my heart. I know, and he cries over it every night. Because you have a desire to live in the world, but claim him. And he says, but I'm looking for devotion. I'm looking for obedience. I'm looking for desire. I'm looking for a people that'll follow me, not a people that will watch me. And when they see the cloud come and the anointing show up and the presence of God show up, they come running to me. But as soon as the cloud moves away, they run back to their old lifestyles. I'm tired of a people that chases a move rather than chases me. We've got to understand that correction brings us into right standing, correction brings us into a way of living. How many of you remember when you got saved? Now, 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 this is going to mess with you. How many understand that salvation comes with correction? Yeah, sure. yeah. No, I just went to the altar, and I said, you know, I'm tired of carrying all these problems. I'm going to give my heart to God, and I'm just going to do it this way, and, and then God's going to let me do whatever I want. So i, I got to be careful how I go through this, but I'm going to say this to you. I had somebody tell me years ago that says that when Jesus died on the cross, when the blood fled flowed from his forehead into his eyes, that it created blindness and no longer Jesus can see sin. Yeah, that, that point-blank take, and, and I received that, Pastor Katie, that's ignorance. I'm going to put it in my terms, that's stupid. God still sees sin. The Bible still declares that the wages of sin is death. It's amazing to me when we say that, nobody gets scared. Why does death not bother you? Because hell is a vacation spot, not an eternal place. We've, we've taken all the, 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 the foundations of our belief system. We've taken them and we've watered them down because, well, you know, I mean, eh, I don't even hear people talk about heaven anymore. Much less hell. Then why'd you get saved? If ne- neither place is a big deal, live your life. Play roulette. See what happens. Hope you make it. Hope you don't. I don't know. No, I need a guarantee. How do I get a guarantee? Obedience and receiving correction. If my son cannot receive correction, then he's probably not going to be in obedience, which is going to create a struggle in the relationship. How many of y'all ever struggled with your relationship with God? Uh, don't just, yes, that's me. I've struggled at moments. Man, I've been I've gotten frustrated with God. I didn't understand why God let things happen. I, I might even have blamed God at times. Yes, I've had moments. Obedience and correction. God is not sitting in heaven going, "Eh, eh." some people think that. God's going, God, do they not understand how much I have a desire for them? Do they not understand what I want for their lives? Do they not understand that I have a plan and a purpose? Do they not understand that my ways are better than theirs? God, if they would just... If you've ever noticed that God's corrections are minute, they're not massive. They're little places that change the, 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 the trajectory of your existence forever. Somebody came to me, the, the weakness pastor, I, I'm struggling in this area, I'm struggling in this area. And I said, who are you hanging around? Wow, man. Okay, listen, I love you, and I'm not telling you who to pick in your life. But those people aren't going where you're trying to go. No wonder you can't seem to make it. Yeah, but, but pastor, like they've been my, they're my friends for years. So you would rather be friends with somebody for years than live in eternity? Like, hello. The greatest thing I ever did in my life was cut folk out of it. Yeah. Click, click. I love you, but I don't have to be with you. Sometimes you just got to walk away and trust that God's got better things for you so that you don't live under that spirit of oppression. Anyway, I was talking to my barber. We were sharing all these conversations. I was, I was ministering to him, and I'll tell you this, what happens. This is a great thing. When you start sharing the word with people, you get free haircuts. Amen. That was just a sidebar. Amen. Don't go to my barber and ask for free haircut. You better bring the word. Amen. Listen, correction comes because God loves you, not because he's mad at you. The only reason you would think he's mad is because your relationship isn't strong. It's like this. My wife's come to me and brought correction in my life, and I get agitated. She goes, baby, I didn't. I, I was saying it in love. I didn't receive it in love. Watch, watch, watch. Don't look at me like I'm stupid. I know what y'all do. I do it too. But here's the truth of it. I didn't receive it out of relationship. I, receive, I received it out of fear of failure. And so I rejected it. God said, every bit of my correction is to bring you out of failure into the promise, right. not to keep you in feeling like you're failing. I don't bring, God said, I don't, I'm, I don't bring the spirit of condemnation. I bring the spirit of life. So understand that when I correct you, it's so that you live a long life, not a short term life. And that's what we should desire when we receive correction comes because God loves you, not because he's mad at you. And I've struggled in receiving correction in my life because I viewed it as failure rather than love. Correction is never easy, but the word says this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says the Lord disciplines those he loves. Oh, God, don't go there. No, the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. It's like that old statement, I'm only spanking you because I love you. I remember I read an old, y'all remember Calvin and Hobbes back in the day, the little cartoon, and the dad brings him to Calvin in the room, and he says, son, I'm only spanking you because I love you. And he says, well, then when you're done, can I return the love? If you think about that for a second, that's how we treat God sometimes. God brings correction, then we try to correct him back. He says the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Did you read that word? He, Hebrews is Old Testament or New Testament? So we're we're under grace, not under law, and it still says that he punishes. I'm quitting. Nope, I'm not serving that God. He's a punisher. He wants correction. He doesn't watch. He has such a desire to finish the race with you, not without you, that he is willing to have you upset with him to bring you in correction so that you finish the race and don't die short of the finish line. It's like this. When we correct our children, we do it even though we know it's going to tick them off. They're probably not going to love us in that moment as much as we would hope so, but we're going to do it anyway. Why? Because we have a plan for them. It's like this. If my son runs out in the street and a car is coming, I'm spear tackling that boy. I don't care if he gets scrapes and bruises, but as long as he didn't get hit by the car, we'll get through it together. Dad, why would you tackle me so hard? Would you want the car or me? Which one did you want? It's amazing how we'll fight against that correction. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. Be happy when he corrects you. That means you're probably walking in the right way with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, you're, you're, you're correcting me. Woo! When was the last time you got excited about correction? <laughs> Maybe if you got excited about the correction, you'd be excited about the relationship. Verse 7, it says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own child. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Well, watch our culture today and you'll see it all day long. Ah. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. That's the word. Huh? I didn't say that. I didn't write that. Do you read what that says? I can't use the word in church because it might freak you out. But there's a word. That the King James Version calls a bastard. And before you think that's a bad word, that means a fatherless person. He says that's what you become when you don't receive correction from him. You become an illegitimate child without a father. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Stop. Did you read what that said? Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, stop. Stop. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, stop. If you can't receive the discipline that your father gave you, you'll never receive the one that God brings. For the Bible declares for you to honor your mother and father. Now, what you go, but pastor, they were so mean to me. and then say, then quit. Find it in your word where it says, but how they treated you, you should just stop. Just disregard them, disobey them, dishonor them. He says, if you'll honor your mother and father, you'll live a long life. I was thinking about this morning. I've told you the stories about my dad. I've told you how the hell we went through growing up as kids, the the struggles, the alcoholism, the the abuse, the verbal abuse, all the stuff. I woke up last night after reading this word, like 1 o'clock in the morning, this is what God told me, honor your father. Oh, you go, but pastor, you don't understand. No, I do. I understand that his promises are greater than what a man did to me, and I'll honor him. Because if I honor him, God will see my heart. In the middle of it, I'm not going to disrespect that man. Yes, we had hell, but I I say it all the time. And people ask me, why do you keep giving other chances? Because I'm hoping that one day the door will open, that I can share the fullness of the gospel that God's placed on the inside of me so that he can receive the love that I have. So that it'll calm calm his storms, it'll heal his heart, and that he'll be able to be a good father to his two children that he birthed. It's not about me, but I'm going to honor him in the process. I'm going to honor my real dad who abandoned us, who left us before I was born, who chose everything else but me. And my brother, I'm still going to honor him. Why? Because the word says to. Since we respected our earthly fathers, because watch, when I honor and respect them, then respecting God, it gets real easy. Because the word says that he will never leave me nor forsake me. How much greater will my respect become for God if I learn how to respect those who hurt me? Woo! That's a tough one to swallow. Just take a deep breath and let it go down because I know it's a tough one to receive. But I want you to hear this. I don't care what they've done to you. Respect them anyway. Respect goes miles beyond your existence. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and, lie and live forever? How long? Forever. Live for how long? Forever. So receiving correction creates long life. Forever. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. Did, read this word. Don't get mad because they didn't do it the way you wanted it. They did it to the best of their abilities of what they knew. Right. You know what makes me a great dad? Getting a hold of God and getting him to teach me how to be a great dad. Not that I didn't see it growing up from other men in my life, but I need to get it for Brian. How do I get it? I go to the father. God, how do I do this better? Because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm messing this thing up. God, I didn't say that right. How do I? Brian, you know what? I want you to go and tell your son this. But, God, I got Go do it. And I go do it, and it creates a greater bond between the two of us. If I say something in frustration, which I probably shouldn't have said, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I said something that might have tweaked him in the wrong way or hurt his feelings, I I should have a desire. And then God goes, Brian, you went too far. I know you were frustrated. I know you were agitated with his behavior, but you went too far, and I need you to go deal with his heart. Don't deal with his actions. Deal with his heart. That means i got to use my heart. All right, God, I'll I'll go do that. For our earthly father disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Help us. No discipline is enjoyable. Can I get an amen from somebody? While it's happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. This is what the word says. If you are willing to receive correction, it will train you to live a long life. How many of y'all want a long life? Then you better get used to correction. And when God says, don't, don't do it. And when God says, do this, then do it and just accept it. And know that God's bigger than you. Let me give you another scripture because I need you to understand that correction is not my term, it's his. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says this. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. How many of y'all get upset when God corrects you? Come on, work with me for a second. You oh God, seriously. We don't like it all the time. We're like, God, come on, man. I'm trying my best. Okay, let me help with this word real quick. If you'll talk to my team, you'll hear this. I don't like the word try. Do you know why I don't like the word try? We only say try when we have a desire to fail. Or failure is an option. Watch, when we say try, I tried, it's because we didn't succeed. So don't try. Either do, or just say you're not going to. I'm either going to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, or I'm not going to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm not going to sit somewhere in the middle. God, I'll give you my heart and my strength, but my mind and my soul, that's mine. Then that's not love. That's conditional. You can't live on both sides of the fence. you got to pick one way or the other. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. He never said anything about maybe in the middle of it. He said, choose you this day whom you'll serve, heaven or hell. There's no gray area. There's no purgatory. There's no middle ground for those that didn't want to do it to the fullness. You either get in or you don't. I know, still not popular preaching, but I get it. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Watch this. Here will be just a good way to translate this scripture. If you don't receive correction, he can't delight in you. I'm sorry. That's how it translates to me. When I refuse correction, he cannot delight in me, which that means he's disappointed in me. Oh, God. Oh, but but, but God is love. Yes, but he's a father. Disappointment is not eternal. Disappointment is moments. Disappointment is seasons. My son has disappointed me before, but it doesn't mean that I'm disappointed in him eternally. I'm disappointed with the moment. Now we're going to have to get through the moment. And once we get through the moment, we're going to do better, right? Yes, because we have a great relationship, right? Yes, because we love each other, right? Yes. This is what this is what you to understand. Just because God's disappointed in you because you made a bad decision doesn't mean that he's eternally angry. He, he grieves over bad decisions so that you don't fall away. He doesn't want that for you, but he does not mind bringing correction to you. Because he wants to delight in you. He wants to put your trophy on the mantle. He wants to put your picture on the wall in the house and go, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Shouldn't we have a desire to be on the walls of heaven? Shouldn't we have a desire? Hey, God. He's putting my trophy on the mantle today. I played sports as a kid. There was nothing better than getting that baseball trophy. For me, that was like amazing. I mean, I collected them on my counter. I showed them off when my friends came and looked at all my trophies. And then I realized it's just plastic and fake marble, but that's okay. Um, uh, but but, but I, I wanted everybody to see. And I remember the day that came that I had to part ways with the trophies. Because you can't hold on to memories forever because if you hold on to memories, you'll never create new seasons. Right. And I remember I got old enough where it, was, it only represented a, a very early age in my life, 7, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And now I was a teenager. It's time to get rid of the trophies. Like, how many, how many more years can you hold on to the Saints winning the Super Bowl? I just want to make sure y'all listen this morning. Amen. This is the conversation my wife and I get in all the time. I love the Saints, but dear God, we've only won one. Let's win another one. Amen. Okay. Um, so, so the thing is, I had to part ways. And I remember I struggled with parting ways with my trophies. Why? Because I found value in succeeding. Hmm. When was the last time your life was a trophy for the mantle in heaven? When was the last time that God said, "You don't have to be a kid. This is going to be this for the rest of your life." Look, that's that's Brian's. Oh, look, 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 look heaven, look. Rejoice. Brian's living his life in obedience and he receives correction. Oh, this is a moment. Heaven rejoices. He finds delight in you when you're willing to receive correction. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, and I need you to understand this about your word, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Pastor, how do I receive correction from God? Here's the word. You don't need an audible thing from heaven. He gave you his word. Read this thing. It will correct you. You want to know a good place to start? Get in Proverbs and just let it eat your lunch. Because I'm telling you, it will mess you up. You will be like, oh, my gosh. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing this. I was reading. I'm going, okay, God, thanks. Stop. Can we stop going back to Proverbs? Every time you give a scripture, Is out of Proverbs. Stop it, God. I'm not enjoying this moment right now because I'm realizing there's areas in my life. that Good. That's why I brought you here. Did you think that every word I preach is for you? No, it's for me first. Then it's for you. Hello. If all I did was sit up here and preach word that was just for you, then I would never walk in it. He brings change to the shepherd so that he can feed the sheep. Amen. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. If you have a word problem, you have a correction problem. I'll give you one more verse. You get anything out of this yet? I'm trying to help you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. Pastor Ben, you can come on. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. It says this. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will go astray. It's the last piece I got. Those who receive God and then walk away from God, it's because they have a correction issue in their life. Choosing to sin once you've received salvation is a correction issue. It's because you've now thought you're above his correction. And now my ways are better than his way. My plans are better than his plans. My thoughts are greater than his thoughts, so I'm going to go do me. And it causes an astray. How do we stay on the path with God? How do we stay walking in the fullness that God has for us? How do we break the spirit of oppression? Number one, live in obedience. Walk in obedience. Stop being disobedient. Would you go to God and go, hey, God, I'm your disobedient kid. Could you imagine my son walking in and go, who are you? I'm, I'm Pastor Brian's disobedient son. He would never tell the world that. You wouldn't tell the world that, but you know when you're doing it. Walk in obedience. Choose obedience. It will bring you long life and great relationship. Then number two, receive correction. You know, one of the hardest things for me to do sometimes as pastor is to bring correction. I don't want to hurt anybody. I might might seem like I, I can be aggressive, but I'm really, I don't like it. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be frustrated. I grew up in an angry home. I don't want to be angry. And when I have to go there, I'm like, oh. I remember one time, this is, this is a correction moment. It was early days of Judah's life. He's probably three, maybe four. He did something. I had told him like over and over. Now he's four years old, right? Sometimes, let me say the sidebar, stop thinking your kids are as smart as you are. They haven't been where you've been yet. Understand they got to walk through it too. I started realizing I was parenting my son like he was 40 years old. Instead of letting and understanding that he has to learn too. And so I remember he was like three or four, and, and, and he, got, he kept doing this thing over and over, and he ended up breaking something. And I got mad. who I got mad. Don't judge me, I'm telling you the truth." "Oh!" And I remember getting so angry that I gritted my teeth at him, I said, "Son, it's still hard for me to do that. And the moment I did it, God brought correction. He said, "Do not." be what your fathers were to you. I did not call you to be that. Stop it. And I remember grabbing him, wrapping my arms around and holding him in his room, and going, son, I'm so sorry. And I know he didn't understand half of what I was telling him, but I said, son, I'll never grit my teeth at you another day in my life because I will not put on you what I had to walk through. I will correct that so that you don't ever have to feel that because how I raise you will be how you treat your children. And I'm telling this at a very early age. Not one day have I. And I've always carried that day with me. Not just with my kids, but even my own wife. I got in an argument with my wife at the beginning of our marriage. She hid something or did something. I got ticked off and it started a frustration argument. And I, and I said my piece because I felt like I was right. I stormed out of the room and I went to the other bedroom. And I went to the bed in the guest bedroom. I crawled in the bed. I turned her to you. Her. I said, I'll just sleep in here tonight. As soon as I laid my head on the pillow, God says, do you feel better now? He said, because that's the last day you'll talk to my daughter like that. Now, he wasn't sitting in the bedroom correcting my wife. He was correcting me. And I'm like, I'm not apologizing until she she started it. He goes, I didn't call you to be the first. I called you to be the last. For the last shall be first. First. I didn't call you to start it. I called you to finish it. Go deal with it. And I walked in the room. My wife was sitting in bed. She was crying because I had said some stuff. Not proud. Said some stuff. And I walked in and I said, baby, can I talk to you? She goes, nope. This is early, early, first two years of our marriage. I said, okay. And when she said no, God told me, he said, go out of the room. Leave the room. I went sat on the couch and God began to deal with me. And he said, you're going to go back. And he gave me a time limit. He said, 15 minutes, I want you to go back. And he said, I don't want you to ask if you can talk. I just want you to apologize and leave it. And I not only walked in with an apology, but I walked in with a promise. He said, it'll be the last I ever do that. Because I love you too much to watch you go through what I watched happen in my house as a kid. I will not be what I saw. Ever since then, we haven't had those moments. We, I refuse, even though we disagree on things, and even though we go through moments, I refuse to go to bed frustrated with her. And the same with her. Can we please deal with this before we go to bed? I don't want to be frustrated. I want to wake up at peace with you in the morning. See, correction doesn't change. You. It doesn't make you bigger. It makes him bigger in you. And it allows the God that you serve to be seen in the lives of the people that you come in contact with. I have learned that I would rather be wrong than be right. And even when I think I'm right, I still would rather be wrong. Because I've understood that it it requires humility to receive correction. And when I'm willing to receive correction, even when I think I'm right, it brings peace to the circumstance and situation. Walk in obedience receive correction. If God has corrected you, stop fighting him and just receive it. And your life will begin to change and oppression will begin to fall off in your life. Next week I'm going to give you step three. Everybody stand to your feet.